What's up, fellow geeks? This is Eric from Geeks Crossing, giving you guys another episode that sort of deviates from my format, but at the same time it doesn't because I'm talking about Pokemon. What else is new with me? Speaking of Pokemon, it's February as of the recording of this episode, and this year marks Pokemon's 25th anniversary. That's fucking insane. Now, I was thinking of doing another group discussion with the rest of the members of Geeks Crossing, because we're all huge Pokemon fans in our own way, yet I still want to provide a little bit of my own content, so to speak, hence the existence of this episode. Today, I'm going to be reviewing all the main series Pokemon games that have been released over the years. Keep in mind, I said main series. Side or spin-off games won't be mentioned. This includes, but not limited to, the Mystery Dungeon series, Coliseum slash XD Gale of Darkness, the Ranger series, etc. Even Rumble if anyone even remembers that game. The point is, I want to focus on the core games that are integral to the franchise. However, since there's a lot to talk about, I'll be reviewing each game in one sentence, then give a top 10 list of my favorite games and my top 5 least favorite games. For the record, I don't hate any of the games, which is why I can't bring myself to do a top 10 least favorite section. Of course, if there's a Sonic, it'd be a different story. One last thing to mention is that everything I say is just my opinion. Try not to get too bent out of shape if you don't agree with some things I have to say. With that said, let's take a stroll through memory lane starting with the very beginning to our most current games. Red and Blue. These were the games that started everything, yet they're glitchy as fuck. Yellow. Literally the same as Red and Blue, except with Pikachu plastered on your journey. Gold and Silver. Solid games and the birthplace for most favoritism. Crystal. Visually in almost every way better than Gold and Silver. Ruby and Sapphire. The sole reason for getting a Game Boy Advance in the first place. Fire Red and Leaf Green. Great remakes to Gen 1 and the best way to experience Kanto. Emerald. Best Pokemon game. I'm just kidding. Wait, no I'm not. Alright, I'll stop. <laughs> Major improvements over Ruby and Sapphire, and one of the best solitary games so far. Was that good enough without sounding too biased? Diamond and Pearl. These games felt more like betas than actual games, which is pretty fucking sad. Platinum. The true Gen 4 game we all should have been treated to. Heart Gold and Soul Silver. Excellent remakes to Gen 2, and in some cases, the most ideal games. Black and White. The quote-unquote better Gen 1. Except it worked. Black 2 and White 2. True sequels that vastly improved over its predecessors. X and Y. Probably the easiest games in the series, but revolutionary at the same time. Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire. Impressive remakes to Gen 3, yet its difficulty pales in comparison. Sun and Moon. The deviations from these games were too much for me to handle. Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. My appears carbon copies of Sun and Moon, but they're actually better in many ways. Let's Go Pikachu and Let's Go Eevee. The first ever core-slash-spin-off hybrid with problems that are unavoidable. Sword and Shield. When you put all the controversy aside, they're actually not bad games. Alright, that's all the core games reviewed in one sentence. Now it's time for my list. I'll start with my top 5 least favorite list because I'm sure that's the one you're all curious to hear first. Keep in mind that just because these games are on my least favorite list, it doesn't mean I hate them. These games have some issues that prevents me from replaying them more than once. Starting with Gold and Silver. Yes. I had the balls to put Gold and Silver on my least favorite list. All you Gen 2 lovers just hear me out before you unleash your rage attack on me. Okay, in many ways, these two games revolutionized the series. First by introducing the Steel and Dark typing. Two types that can combat against the once overpowered Psychic type. Introducing a lot of Pokemon that are still loved to this day. Some in which are evolved or pre-evolved forms of Gen 1 Pokemon. And it did offer the first full-fledged post-game. I'm of course talking about going to Kanto after becoming the Johto Champion. But why exactly are they on my least favorite list? Well, being both figurative and literal sequels to Gen 1, 
I feel like these games rely too much on Kanto. By making most of the important characters from Johto mostly use Kanto Mons. A prime example is Lance, who's now the Johto champion, yet his entire team is nothing but Kanto Mons, and three of them are fucking Dragonite. Another reason, which kind of sounds generic, Crystal completely overshadows these games. I know that's usually the case with those enhanced versions, but this one is right on the nose. With Crystal giving Pokemon anime sprites, additional story lore with the legendary beast, and introducing the first optional female protagonist, Crest, who has not appeared in any other game, RIP. The only real reason I could see why anyone would play GS over Crystal is to have Mareep in your party. If you don't use the Mareep line in the Johto playthrough, then there's something wrong with you. By no means do I think Gold and Silver are bad, but these games suffer a bit from Kanto favoritism and Crystal's improvements. Next up, Let's Go Pikachu and Let's Go Eevee. I had mixed feelings towards these games when they first got revealed, but by the time I got the game for myself, my opinion changed. It was awesome to travel around Kanto with Pikachu or Eevee by your side. Let's Go Eevee is the better game, just saying. Anyway, using the same mechanics from Pokemon Go definitely gave the games a nice twist, and the fact that partner Pikachu and Eevee can use their special moves or HM moves was incredible. Oh yeah, can't forget about the cameos from past Kanto veterans, such as Red, Blue, and Green, or Leaf, or whatever you want to call her. However, because those games are supposed to cater to both Core and Pokemon Go fans, it makes those games feel uneasy to play at times. Doesn't help that catching Pokemon is not only mandatory to battle certain gyms, but it's the only way your team is going to receive any significant EXP, as normal battles won't cut it this time for level grinding, and the Master Trainers. Oh god. Literally these games were easy up until the post game, where you decide to fuck you up with these trainers that have the same Pokemon as you, but their stats are beyond broken. That's as far as I'll go because any further detail will give me a migraine. Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee did well changing up the formula a bit, yet it doesn't live up to the standards of main series games all that much. Next up, Diamond and Pearl. Before all you Gen 4 lovers start ranting and sending me death threats, let me explain. Honestly, I think Diamond and Pearl didn't start the 4th generation all too well. Granted, it did introduce many beloved Pokemon and characters, some of which are still praised to this day, and I think Sinnoh is a solid region with its mountainous environment. Sadly, these games felt like betas at best, I know that's weird to consider any Pokemon game a beta, but it's true. These games felt very limited when it comes to the Pokemon selection, not just for catching, but the characters you face as well. A prime example is Faulkner, who, mind you, is an Electric-type gym leader, yet he uses a freaking Ampipomon artillery in his gym battle, and Flint, the Fire-type user of the Elite Four, uses a Steelix, Driplum, and Lopini. The post-game is hardly worth the mention, and to top it off, these games are so... Fucking slow! You'll not believe how many hours it took to beat these games because of how slow everything felt. And don't get me started on saving your progress. However, I think Game Freak was merely experimenting with how a Pokemon DS game could work. And like I said, these games left an impact towards the Pokemon fanbase. And they did introduce the physical slash special attack split, which vastly improved the competitive nature for the series. Even so, it's hard for me to ignore all these flaws I mentioned. Gen 4 lovers, please spare me. At second place, we have Yellow. This is definitely going to sound weird when I say this. Yellow is not better than Red and Blue. But Pokemon Yellow is the enhanced version, it should be better than Red and Blue. In theory, that's true. But the way it's executed is where the game fails. It's no shocker that this game was inspired by the anime. No pun intended. Because players can only have Pikachu as their starter. Pikachu has its anime sound rather than its normal game cry. And can walk by you outside its Pokeball. Also, it refused to evolve just like Ash's Pikachu, 
so I have to give this game credit for all those details, not to mention your rival having Eevee just like Gary. However, one of the reasons I don't like playing through yellow is the inconsistent difficult curve. A prime example is towards the end, because Sabrina, who's the 6th gym leader, will have level 50 Pokemon. Meanwhile, in red and blue, her team was in the late 30s. What the fuck were they thinking? Level grinding never felt more like a chore compared to other games, especially all the gift Pokemon, which are all very low leveled. Yeah, that's always been a thing in Pokemon. Yeah, I felt they went overboard in this game. Probably the biggest complaint I have with this game is the fact that all the glitches are still there. I won't hold that against Red and Blue because they were the first games, but in Yellow, which is supposed to be the quote-unquote better version of these games, there is no excuse to keep those glitches. Honestly, if you really want to play through Gen 1 again, you're better off with Red and Blue. Having colorful sprites isn't enough to earn this game any more praise. And my least favorite Pokemon games have to be Sun and Moon. I'm sorry, but these games didn't cut it for me. Before I get to my reasons why I dislike these games, let's mention the positives first. I love the aesthetics of the Alola region. Game Freak really did a great job capturing the essence of Hawaii. This game introduced some of my favorite characters like Lily, Gladion, and your boy Guzma. Ride Pokemon was a clever way to omit HMs entirely, and my personal favorite, Regional Variant. I thought it was a great way to reintroduce classic Pokemon and make them feel new again by changing their typings. Sadly, the game falls flat on everything else. Z-moves were boring and felt more like a cheaper gimmick than Megas. Doesn't help that every Pokemon can use them, which makes them feel less special. Besides the three characters I mentioned, most of the other characters I didn't like, especially Hal. Gen 7 has the worst selection of Pokemon I've seen so far, with a few exceptions, of course. Ones that grew on me were Lycanroc, Mimikyu, and Komoo. Honestly, the story felt the most problematic to me. While I appreciate Game Freak trying to do something new, the Island Challenge bored the fuck out of me and it made me miss the gym challenge more than ever. Constantly having Hal and Lily show up throughout your journey didn't help either. It's like the game couldn't decide what they want to do with them, besides having them stuck to your ass. With the exception of the battle tree, the post-game felt disappointing as well. I never liked the Ultra Beasts, or the Tapus for that matter. Not only do most of them have broken stats, but Game Freak tried so hard to make them not like Legendaries, except they kind of are, which is frustrating. Again, I'm sorry to those who love Gen 7, these games are just too gimmicky for me, and it doesn't sound like I'll be replaying them anytime soon. Very controversial spots, I know. Just wait until you hear my top 10 list because I know it's going to raise some eyebrows. To be fair, when have I not raised any eyebrows during this podcast? Okay, let's start with my top 10 list. I feel like it'd be a bit unfair to not include a game from Gen 7, so to compensate, I'm putting Ultra Sun and Moon at the very bottom, as they're the Gen 7 games I found myself liking the most. Even though they're virtually the same games, the differences are what makes them worthwhile. First off, I do like some of the new Z-moves they introduced, my favorites being Mimikyu's and Komoos. It was great that they expanded the Alola decks by adding more familiar Pokemon. Granted, the first Sun Moon already did that, but this time it's easy to tell who's native to Alola and who's not. And I like the extra story details regarding the Ultra Wormholes, which made catching Ultra Beasts and Legendaries all the more interesting. But the best part about these games, at least in my opinion, was definitely the Rainbow Rocket post-game story. Witnessing all these villainous team leaders team up was like the ultimate fanfiction for me, and I was like, this is the real 20th anniversary game for me. However, these two are ranked at the very bottom for a few reasons. They falsely advertised new Pokemon being added to the Alola Pokedex, yet the only new Pokemon they added was a new Lycanroc form and a few new Ultra Beasts. The Island Challenge is still boring as fuck, which is strange because it looked like gyms were going to be returning. Little did we realize it was a fake gym that more or less doesn't serve a purpose really. And do I even have to mention how absurdly overpowered Ultra Necrozma is? 
I'm sure those who played these games know the pain and suffering. Clearly what saves this game for me is the Rainbow Rocket story. Regardless, I still appreciate Game Freak's attempts to make these games different, and they succeeded for the most part. As I stated before, Platinum is the true Gen 4 game we should have gotten. This game completely shits on Diamond and Pearl for the following reasons. First off, the expanded decks. Platinum offers a lot more Pokemon to catch unlike its predecessors, which definitely improved the teams of some of the gym slash Elite Four members. Secondly, the extra story content. Platinum made the story of Sinnoh more fleshed out by making Cyrus, the leader of Team Plasma, appear more frequently, which made me care about the story a lot more. And the introduction of Looker, a secret investigator who tries to foil Team Plasma's plans, finally confirming that there's actually some sort of law enforcement in the Pokemon universe. And of course, challenging the Battle Frontier during the post-game. I'll go into more detail once I get to you know what, but I was super happy to see this feature return. Yeah, it was cool that you get to rebattle gym leaders and staff trainers on certain days, yet I care more about the Battle Frontier. And I have to mention the Distortion World where you face Garantina. As Game Freak's first attempt to incorporate any sort of 3D areas, I think they did a solid job, and I'm sure all you Gen 4 lovers can agree with that. However, all the battles in the postgame felt a little bit too easy for me, including the Battle Frontier. I kind of hated how half of the legendaries are either roaming legends or can only be obtained through special events, which of course are no longer achievable by any means. And just like Diamond and Pearl, Platinum is still slow as I remembered. If you want my honest opinion, it's better to play Gen 4 on an emulator because you can speed up the gameplay. It saved me a lot of time, I can tell you that. Other than that, Platinum is a solid game. Up next, we have Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire. I know. What the fuck, Eric? How dare you put these amazing games at the bottom three? Just hear me out, people. Let's get the positives out of the way first. You guys know I love Gen 3 a lot, and seeing Hoenn remade in Gen 6 graphics was amazing. These remakes helped flesh out some of the characters introduced in Gen 3, such as Brendan slash Mei and Wally. I loved having the option to fly around Hoenn on Mega Latios or Mega Latios, and the Delta episode where you catch Mega Rayquaza and later Deoxys. It instantly became one of my favorite post-game stories in any Pokemon game. Also, Primal, Kyogre, and Groudon were nice touches definitely making the blue and red orbs more useful. Game Freak did a great job recreating my childhood. However, these remakes suffer from lack of difficulty. You guys thought X and Y were easy games? No. These games are by far the easiest games I've played so far. I mean, players can receive Latios and Latios before the 6th gym. The fact that they give you a legendary that early only solidifies my point. Even the newly added fairy type from Gen 6 didn't help make the games any more difficult. Aside from the Delta episode, the rest of the postgame felt mad to me. Yeah, it was cool to catch all the legendaries in those dimensional rings, but it did get exhausting at times. Not as exhausting as the Ultra Wormholes, but still. And the biggest disappointment is how they teased a potential Battle Frontier DLC. But no, we had to sell with the more dull and shitty Battle Mason. Despite all that, Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire were great games, and one of the best remakes we've gotten so far. Next we have Black and White, the reboot generation. The reason why people consider it a reboot is because Game Freak decided to make their 5th generation virtually similar to Gen 1 by having this take place in a region where most of the Pokemon available are the new ones. I'll go into more detail about that later because I have to mention other positives first. A small but noticeable detail to point out is the graphics. As far as how much 3D they can feature, it definitely felt like a step up compared to Gen 4. Gen 5 introduced the largest roster of new Pokemon and some of them ended up becoming some of my favorites. This includes, but not limited to, Breviary, Zoroark, and Hydragon. However, the biggest positive for me is the story. I know stories tend to be a hit or miss in Pokemon, pun intended, but the story in black and white is honestly pretty damn good. As it dives deeper into the ethics of capturing Pokemon, 
Like, is it morally right to catch Pokemon and force them to battle? And the one character that made the story better was N, who instantly became a fan favorite. These games could have been ranked higher if not for a few flaws. I get that they wanted Gen 5 to be more like Gen 1 with its selection of Pokemon, but I'm one of those players who loves building teams that's a mix of old and new Pokemon. At least previous Pokemon are available to catch in the post-game. Speaking of which, the post-game is what drags this game down for me. Don't get me wrong, it was cool to explore the rest of Unova, but they went overboard on the difficulty scale. As you were facing trainers who had over level 60 Pokemon, and your team was like around the 40s when you beat the game. Doesn't help that Cynthia, the champion of Sinnoh, can be fought as well, but her team is well over level 70 and close to 80. Holy shit, Game Freak. And that's about it, really. I know there's roaming legends in the Battle Subway, which kind of acts like the Battle Frontier, but not really. Still, Black and White were great games enough to earn a spot on the top 10 list. Up next, Sword and Shield. A lot of people are probably going to hate me for putting these games above Black and White, especially Matt, because I know he explained all the issues he had with these games in one of his solo episodes. Sorry, Matt. Love you, buddy. Anyway, let's address why this game gets a lot of hate. First off, the new gimmick that was introduced, called Dynamax slash Gigantamax. To be honest, I'm not a big fan of this feature, because it looked like a watered-down version of Mega Evolution mixed with Z-moves. Second, the characters and story didn't feel fleshed out at times, but let's get the biggest problem people have out of the way, and that is the cut Pokédex. This was the first generation to not include every Pokémon which triggered a lot of people, so much so that some fans refused to buy the games entirely. With that said, you're probably wondering, why the fuck did I put these games on my favorite list? Going back to all the flaws, Dynamax slash Gigantamax wasn't as bad as I thought. Sure, it didn't leave the same impact on me like Mega's, but I appreciate Game Freak's efforts for trying something new and not making them as boring as Z-moves. I actually like the story and its characters, believe it or not. Even though it's not as engaging as Black and White's story, again, I'll give Game Freak praise for once again making the gym challenge integral to the plot. In fact, characters like Bede, Marnie, Leon, and Pierce, aka the first ever Dark-type gym leader, ended up becoming some of my favorites within the series. Like most fans, I was disappointed with the dex cut. Then again, Game Freak did explain that they were at a point would be hard to implement every Pokemon when the number of new Pokemon keeps increasing. I'm not a game developer, but I completely understand what they're coming from. Besides, I don't love every single Pokemon. Some of the ones I despise weren't even in the games anyway, nor did I realize. Speaking of which, Galar has the best selection of new Pokemon I've seen in a long time. A couple of favorites I can name without question are Corviknight, Toxtricity, Scorch, or Dragapult. Regional forms return as well, but now some of them can evolve into new Pokemon. Like Galarian Linoon can evolve into Obstagoon, Galarian Farfetch can evolve into Surfetch and Sword, or Galarian Yamax can evolve into Runarigus and Shield. I thought that was fucking genius. Of course, I have to mention the DLC expansions, though I have somewhat mixed feelings towards the Isle of Armor and Crown Tundra. I think Pokemon's first attempt at incorporating DLC was handled well. Playing all the negatives aside, Sword and Shield are actually pretty solid games. Starting off the top 5 are beloved titles, Fire Red and Leaf Green. It's about time I put Kanto-centered games on this list, since a few Kanto games were on my least favorite list, sadly. What makes these games so iconic was the fact that this was Game Freak's first attempt at remaking a generation. Considering Ruby and Sapphire were big hits, it made sense for them to try something new for their next Game Boy Advance games. Aside from the anime, these games were my first introduction to Kanto, since I wasn't even born yet when the original Red and Blue, or Green, came out. Finally, I got the chance to explore the first ever Pokemon region, but in the Gen 3 style, which worked out for me because Ruby and Sapphire were the first Pokemon games I played. The update mechanics such as the abilities, along with Steel and Dark-type moves being included, made the gameplay better for me. Of course, those weren't the only new features added. 
the original Red and Blue only had one protagonist to choose from, that being Red. These games introduced Leaf, the now female counterpart to Red, along with the Sevi Islands. To be honest, I didn't like the Sevi Islands as a kid. I don't know why they didn't interest me as much. But replaying these games now as an adult made me appreciate them even more. Besides, the Sevi Islands is mandatory if you want to catch Moltres. Speaking of which, I liked how in the post-game, you have the option to catch some of the current Pokemon as of Gen 3. Mostly Johto Pokemon, with the exceptions being Azuril, Wynot, and Deoxys, with the latter being only obtainable by a special event. Although, roaming legendaries were never my cup of tea, so I didn't bother catching any of the legendary beasts. At least the Elite Four rematches were worth it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think these were the first ever Pokemon games to amplify the teams of the Elite Four slash champions when you battle them again, which will later become a trend for future games when it comes to rematches. So that's definitely worth mentioning. Fire Red and Leaf Green are great remakes, and they redefine what made Kanto so recognizable. Next we have, in my opinion, the definitive Gen 5 games, Black 2 and White 2. Compared to the last four generations, Game Freak decided to throw a wild card at us by giving us actual sequels to their previous titles, rather than make us a solitary game. It was definitely a weird change in direction, but I gave it a chance. And what do you know, I ended up loving these games a lot. However, I should mention the biggest flaw with these games, the story. Which is bizarre because Black and White have one of the best stories in any Pokemon game so far. Not saying the story is bad, but it's definitely not as engaging or emotionally driven as its predecessors. It's almost like the moral complexity of catching Pokemon doesn't matter anymore. However, the content is where these games excel at. Right off the bat, I have to give these games praise for allowing us to explore both Eastern and Central Unova over the course of the story. Coralus became one of my favorite characters in the series, and I love how he makes a return in Alola. Since I was talking about Coralus, I have to mention Black slash White Kyurem. It was awesome to see Kyurem receive two new forms by fusing with either Zekrom or Reshiram, probably the closest thing we'll ever get to Pokemon fusions, which sort of returned in Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. Anyway, one issue with Black and White is how you're only restricted to catching Pokemon that are native to Unova. In these games, however, you can now catch previous Pokemon from past generations in both the base and post-game stories, which definitely made team building all the more better for me. There's a lot of post-game features in this game, believe it or not. Aside from the Battle Subway and Cynthia, we have Pokestar Studios where you and your Pokemon can make slash star movies. As a film enthusiast, this was a fun feature, and it was unique to see how Pokemon are used in the art of filmmaking. The best, and let's be honest, everyone's favorite feature, the World Tournament, where you face gym leaders and champions from past regions in a variety of tournaments. This was fucking genius, and a nice homage to previous gens. There's also the Black City and White Tree Hollow, where you continue to face high-level trainers until you reach Benga, the grandson of a former Unova champion, Alter. Definitely one of the toughest battles in the game, but at least he's nice enough to give you a shiny Dratini or Gibble depending on what version you're playing. In fact, I find these games to be the most challenging ones in the entire series, both in terms of main and post-game. Now, I love a good challenge, but there are more a few times where I felt enraged. Funny enough, in the Crown Tundra episode I did with Matt and Nick, I mentioned how these games are so far the only Pokemon games where you can actually change the difficulty. Of course, you have to transfer Link keys from each respective version, which is unique because you now have the option to play through these games again on either Easy or Challenge mode, though I still recommend Normal mode because it's still challenging enough. Once again, I fell back at home when venturing through Unova. However, Eastern Unova reminds me of a place I would rather live. I'll let you guys fill in the blanks. We're now in the top 3, and to start off, we have what many consider to be the magna opus of Pokemon games, Heart Gold and Soul Silver. I know all you hardcore Gen 2 lovers are probably so mad at me for putting the original Gold and Silver in my least favorite list, and I think I just pissed you guys off even more by not putting these games as number 1. 
putting biased opinions aside, what makes these games so highly praised? Well, these games came out during the era of Gen 4, so now players can experience Gen 2, but with the physical and special attack split, seeing everything from Johto remade in Gen 4 style was amazing, making the region more polished and fleshed out. Next, there's Walking Pokemon, where any Pokemon that's in the first slot of your party can walk with you outside its Pokeball, something that was briefly used in Yellow with Pikachu, and later brought back in Let's Go. I think that mechanic alone is why people love these games so much. If it's not that, then it has to be the Pokewalker accessory, in which you can transfer any Pokemon to a special pedometer, and with each step you take in real life, your Pokemon will gradually gain EXP. Seriously, you could bring this thing with you no matter where you are. Like if you're taking your dog for a walk, exercise at the gym, or if you're someone like me who brought to school while walking in the halls in between classes. I know, I'm such a badass. Anyway, these games helped me develop a newfound respect towards Johto. I know that sort of contradicts my issues with the OG games, or Johto in general, for they rely too much on Kanto. Yet, the post-game is what kept me infested. Besides traveling back to Kanto, rebattling all the gym leaders, and the famous encounter with Red on top of Melt Silver, Heart Gold and Soul Silver still offer a lot of content. Just like with Fire Red and Leaf Green, some of the current Pokemon at the time are available to catch. Same thing goes for the Legendaries depending on which version you're playing. Definitely help Lance and the rest of the Leaf Bar feel less Kanto biased. The Battle Frontier from Platinum returns and is in Johto for some reason. Hey, I'm not complaining, I thought that was fucking cool. As well as the Pokeathlon, where you and your Pokemon compete in sports events as if you're in the Olympics or something. Again, not the biggest sports fans, but I appreciate the effort. I also have to mention the special event with Selby, where you travel back in time and fight Giovanni. Little do we realize that this event foreshadowed Rainbow Rocket in Gen 7. Gotta give Game Freak credit for being ahead of its time. As much as I love Harkold and Soul Silver, there are still a few games that I find slightly better. In second place, we have X and Y. Wow, this list is full of controversial spots now, is it? X and Y. Not exactly the best games according to fans, but not exactly the worst games also according to fans. These games were the first fully 3D main series titles, so why are some fans against these games? First off, Gen 6 so far introduced the least amount of new Pokemon in any new region, introducing a little bit over 70 new mods, whereas other gens introduced roughly 100 new Pokemon. Definitely a big step down in terms of quantity. Second, the characters from Kalos along with the story felt dull and not fleshed out enough. Prime examples are your rivals, Team Flare, and the champion, Diantha. And third, which is also the biggest flaw, lacking any sort of challenge. Before Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, fans criticized these games for being too easy, and I don't blame them because neither the main or post game felt challenging. With that said, why the fuck are these games at number 2? Well, going back to new Pokemon, yes, the roster is very small, but I love each and every one of them, especially Gogo, Noivern, and Aegislash. Even though most of the Kalos characters felt dull, they were still interesting when given the proper screen time. At least the anime gave them more personality. Anyway, the easy nature did caught me off guard. Then again, I was suffering from Black 2 and White 2's absurd difficulty, so it was kinda nice to breeze through these games. Now, onto the actual positives. Yes, the post-game could've been a lot better, but I didn't mind the looker missions all too much, and the Battle Mason would've been better if it was only in these games before they decided to plague the Gen 3 remakes. At least the Battle Chateau gave me some enjoyment, considering you can increase your title with every trainer you face, including rematches against the Gym Leaders, Elite Four, and Diantha. Like I said before, these were the first main series games to be completely 3D, and I think Game Freak did a great job with the graphics, and making good use of the 3DS's features. Other features like Pokeami where you actually bomb your Pokemon was fun, along with Super Train where you increase your stats. Let's be real though, the real highlight for these games was Mega Evolution, a phenomenon where certain Pokemon would go through a temporary evolution, thanks to a special stone and the bomb with its trainer. 
This shit blew my mind at first because I thought Pokemon was simply copying from Digimon this time around. That all changed once I played through Gen 6 for the first time. I fucking loved Mega Evolution. Not only was it fun to activate, but it helped give new life to famous and forgettable Pokemon. I loved nearly every Mega Pokemon in this generation, like the Kanto starters, mostly Charizard, Gengar, Alakazam, Tyranitar, Absol, Lucario, and so much more. And I loved seeing it return in the Gen 3 remakes, which I completely forgot to mention. Sorry about that. Anyway, Megas also improved the competitive meta of Pokemon, along with the newly added Fairy type, which is the perfect counter against any Dragon, Fighting, or Dark types. Even though that type is broken as fuck, it was great to finally see another type be introduced in Gen 2. In fact, these games is what helped me got to playing Pokemon competitively. Yes, it took me until Gen 6 to figure out how the meta works. Regardless, it's thanks to these games that I actively partake in Wi-Fi battles and any local tournaments, and they helped me love Pokemon more than ever before as well as acting as the first big steps in seeing the main series titles in full-fledged 3D. If you're someone that works for Game Freak and just so happens to be listening to this podcast, please, please, PLEASE bring back Megas. You'd be doing the Pokemon fanbase a huge favor. And at the number one spot, with no attempt at hiding it whatsoever, is Emerald. I'm sorry for being too obvious, but I can't help myself. I have so much love and value towards this game, it's not even funny. Like I mentioned numerous times, Ruby and Sapphire were my first ever Pokemon games, and I loved playing both of them, mostly Sapphire, until my 9th birthday, which is when I got Emerald. Prior to this, my friends from school kept telling me how much better Emerald is compared to Ruby and Sapphire. As soon as I started playing it, I fell in love. Everything about Emerald was fan-fucking-tastic. The animated sprites, the story was more engaging. All the content provided. Granted, Gen 3 did start off well by introducing features that will later be staples in future games, such as abilities, weather conditions, and double battles. There was also a Pokemon contest which showcased your Pokemon's charm and appeal. Again, something I completely forgot to mention when I was talking about Gen 4 and the Gen 3 remakes. Hey, better late than never. I thought Hoenn had a great story overall with the whole nature theme, but Emerald made it better because players can take on both villainous teams, those being Team Magma and Team Aqua, instead of just facing one of them depending on which version you're playing. The cinematic sequence where you summon Rayquaza to stop Kyogre and Groudon's quarrel still gives me chills. Definitely a good start for most cinematic moments we see in later games. Fun fact, Rayquaza is currently my favorite legendary, and I have this game to thank for that. Anyway, going back to the content, the Poke Navi may sound like a carbon copy of the Poke Gear from Crystal, but I think it's much more useful, especially when it comes to rebattling the gym leaders. Admittedly though, those calls from random trainers you beat did irritate me from time to time. I guess you can argue the same thing with Harkle and Soulsilver too. Anyway, some of the new areas added were fun to experience too, like the Mirage Tower or Battle Tent, but that's nothing compared to the post-game's Battle Frontier, where you take on different facilities and battle absurdly strong trainers. I spent hours and hours doing these battles as a kid, because I kept pushing myself, and by the time I actually faced the Frontier Brains, it was worth it. In fact, this was the one Pokemon game I spent the most hours on, and it was the first game where I got all my Pokemon to level 100 legitimately, no rare candies or game exploits. I just kept on rebounding trainers, gym leaders, and Elite Four over and over again. Was it tedious? Absolutely. Yeah, I never felt more satisfied as a Pokemon player. This is the one Pokemon game I can always go back to and still have a good time. It's the game that made me who I am today. I don't know what else to say. Pokemon Emerald will always be my favorite Pokemon game, and I won't let any of its flaws hold it against it. And that's pretty much every Pokemon game thus far. I think this episode has now become one of my all-time favorites. Because Pokemon has always played a huge role in my life, and I never attempted to review more than 10 games at once until now. Obviously, not everyone's going to agree with how I critique these games, since some of the games on my favorite list 
could be least favorites of others, or vice versa with my least favorite list. Either way, I'm proud of the list I made, and I'll always look forward to what Pokemon has in store for the future. And who knows, maybe I'll do a future episode where I view all the spin-off titles, since Pokemon likes to deviate from its usual format from time to time. But for now, happy 25th anniversary, Pokemon. And thank you all for listening to yet another Geeks Crossing podcast. Join our Discord server and follow our Instagram page if you want to stay up to date with what geekiness we have in store. And like the old saying, Pokemon, gotta catch them all. Until we get to Gen 8. Oof.